0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz
2: every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
3: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City. Fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade.
0: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a great week. And a lot of you took all last week off. I appreciate that. I didn't. And you, did. many of you listened to me all last week, and I appreciate that. Britt Hume at the bottom of the hour put in perspective that uh, huge story in the New York Times about uh, how Joe Biden is looked at really by his staffers as getting old rapidly, older than everyone thought. Like we've been saying from day one, we'll talk about that as well as the president gets set to go overseas. So a uh, special uh, guest coming up in about 10 minutes, John Andrzejczyk, Five for Fighting, wrote a great song, just went to Ukraine, performed it uh, in that war-torn region, in that war-torn country. And President Zelensky could be listening to it as early as today, but you'll love the video. You can download it on iTunes, and all the money goes to the guys that brought him there, Save Our Allies. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: I am here to sound the alarm about a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources who poses threat to his people, to the Americans and to the planet.
0: Well, President Biden takes his old show on the road, The Big Stop, Saudi Arabia. And the problem he needs Uh, He needs them now, but vilified them for years. And it's no longer Obama's Middle East that he's going into. Uh, It's Trump's, thanks to the Abraham Accords, which the New York Times seems to have forgotten. And that was a guy who thinks that uh, the prince is a killer. Might be, but it's a guy that we like better than Iran. Joe, are you going to blow this Trump deal up too? Number two.
5: Well, the buck never actually stops with him, does it? This is the beauty of Joe Biden and his presidency. It's never his
0: fault. If it's not the Russians, then it's the Republicans or it's whoever. Pierce Morgan, of course, Biden's two-pronged approach to the economy. Blame and deny. We'll discuss both. Number one
2: We joke about the fact that President Biden's getting older um, but the fact that even his team is saying you know 10 days of consecutive work yeah. that's just that's just too much for the man.
0: And that, of course, is in the New York Times story that it's very significant considering it's in the New York Times. Even in the New York Times, lets you know that Joe must not go for reelection in a damning report on his aging and his performance, which reaffirms what we've been saying all along since he campaigned from his basement. This guy is not ready. It's not that he's a stutterer. It's nothing. Uh, He is was never impressive as a senator. He was never impressive as a candidate. It took the perfect storm to get him elected because he didn't have to campaign. We saw all the mistakes he made and we watched everyone else ignore it. Now nobody's ignoring it because it's impossible to ignore. He doesn't do any interviews a third as much as Trump, Obama, and Bush did. And now people are saying, well, he only works five days a week. They see him lose himself in his thoughts all the time. They notice that his gait, he's barely lifting up his legs, he shuffles. Everyone's concerned he's going to fall like he did off his bike. He didn't over the weekend. So for him to say, I'm going to run again, he'll be 83 years old. He is right now a year and a half older than Ronald Reagan was when he left office. Ronald Reagan left office at 73 and everyone thought he was too old. He was much more vigorous and didn't have two aneurysms like President Biden. And I just think that I'm astounded that I read the New York Times and stunned that it lasted this long. So should he actually stick around and what would it mean? Dr. Nicole Safra weighed in on first, which he picked up as a doctor from what they were saying about him as a person. Cut one.
2: We joke about the fact that President Biden's getting older, um, but the fact that even his team is saying, you know, 10 days of consecutive work, yeah. that's just that's just too much for the man. We make jokes about it, but it's actually not funny. And as Joey's mentioning, you know, there's a job to be done. And we know that peak cognition does happen around age 30, which is why you have, you say presidents, minimum age to be president, and you have to be 35. Peak cognition, peak physical strength. And now here we are with the president who it's, it's clear, you don't have to be a treating physician to say that he's struggling a little physically and maybe mentally um, with his age and the subsequent uh, restrictions with that.
0: So... More than once, he's mentioned Vice President Harris as president. We know he mixes up Ukraine and Iran. A little bit of a difference. He calls Senator Warner John all the time, the old John Warner. He has passed away, sadly. He had to walk back his statements on China and Taiwan. The only thing at stake there was, of course, war. Vladimir Putin must go, which all of a sudden made it a Cold War fight instead of Ukraine against Russia fight. And as I mentioned before his aides have said they get so nervous because he shuffles there are wires everywhere just in the nature of his position David Gergen who leans more left and right but worked for both presidents including Ronald Reagan says that he is 80 meaning David Gergen's 80 he says he says I notice a difference in his own decline for lack of a better word and at 80 years old you shouldn't be president And the New York Times talks about Biden meeting a new Middle East Then he left six years ago. Everything he touches that Trump touched, he tries to reverse. And that's what he tried to do as a candidate. But Trump's finest work, arguably, were the Abraham Accords. And now, all of a sudden, Joe Biden's realizing the rookie politician knew more about an area he's supposed to thrive in, and that's international relations. So does he plan on running again? Vice President Harris on Face the Nation.
1: Cut five. Listen... President Biden, he intends to run. And if he does, I intend to run with him. (laughs) So there you go.
0: Always would love to know what's funny. Uh, I don't know why she laughs. It makes no sense. It's just nervous. Also, she's asked on Face the Nation about what's going on at the border. And the governor's move to take illegal immigrants and bring them right to the border and send them back to Mexico. And he says, well, he's just making matters worse. How could you not ask, if you're Robert Costa filling in for Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation, how could you not say you are in charge of the border? It is busted wide open. You, How do you feel about that? What do you mean you had a broken system? Three million people have come here illegally already, and you're in charge of this, and you've gone to the border once for 45 minutes, and it wasn't the border. It was a crossing. And you haven't been back since a Zoom call with the root problem of the uh, of the of this invasion. You want to go to the root problem? It's Venezuela, Cuba. We have Chinese crossing. We have Afghanis crossing. Every Ukrainians are crossing because it's come one, come all. You know what our answer is? Well, when it comes to immigration, we have to give them a pathway to citizenship. Okay, that'll stop the inflow. Give them citizenship. That was sarcasm. When we come back, John Adrazik joins us. He just went over the Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine battling it out. While the Russians are actually making progress, they have to pause. They're running out of people. They're running out of ammunition. And they're afraid of this war churning like it did Afghanistan amongst the Russian public. But they want to go out of their way not to have a draft. But he went and saw the rubble up close and personal. And he made it part of a video of a song he wrote in tribute to President Zelensky. I can't play the whole thing. But I'll play a lot of it and just know if you download it, the money goes to save our allies who did more to get our people out of Afghanistan than anybody else. And now they're helping, including getting our reporters out of Ukraine and still helping get our allies out of Ukraine in that war-torn nation. We come back, that story, and then, of course, Brit Hume, and then we end this hour with your calls. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
3: Newsmakers and Newsbreakers Here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show The Will Cain Show is now dropping five episodes a week
6: Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Cain As he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective Along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures And live calls from viewers and listeners Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts
0: And that is the that is the voice, and that is the the Ukrainian orchestra, and the lead singer and writer of that song, John Odrowski, singer and songwriter. You know him from Five from Fighting. Uh, he is he he bleeds red, white, and blue. Extremely patriotic. Uh, really moved to write a song uh, to take action uh, when they, we watch the. It's almost coming up on a year. The ridiculous, mm. embarrassing withdrawal of Afghanistan. And that's where he formed a relationship with Save Our Allies. They helped him get into Ukraine to shoot a video of this song, which you haven't heard yet. You have to listen to it. It's awesome. And then picture picture this. If you download it, you can actually see the video of war Turn Ukraine. And in the middle of it, you see the Ukrainian orchestra. And in the middle of that is a guy playing the piano. And that is our guest, John Welcome. Congratulations on, on pulling this off. First off, the, <laughs> what is it, why is this just not a conflict to you? Why is this not so – a lot of people look at the Ukrainian situation and say, well, I feel bad for them, but it's not my problem. Why, why do you think it's, it should be our problem, and why, do you, why is it so personal to you?
9: I understand that sentiment by folks. Um, why are we sending all this money? It's not our problem. It's not on our shores. But I, uh, talking to people much smarter than me, I, I think they feel if we allow – Putin to devour Ukraine, the dynamic doesn't change. It's just the Polish border. Now he's on after he takes Moldova and the, the Baltics. And there's a very realistic chance that we're here a year or two years from now with our soldiers, our children um, on that Polish border, really fighting and dying in World War III. So I think if we don't stop Putin in Ukraine, uh, the world's at an inflection point, Afghanistan, Ukraine. You don't think China's watching. You don't think Taiwan is next on deck. Absolutely. So it goes way beyond Ukraine. But Zelensky inspired you. How could he not? What did, we offered him a plane ticket. And he said no, not just for him, but his family. He stayed with his wife and children expecting to be murdered. Remember, early in the war, they were Russian mercenaries trying to kill him. And they were going for Kiev. They were going for Kiev, yeah. I mean, that's where we recorded this, on the outskirts of Kiev. So yeah, Zelensky, is he a perfect guy? No. Did he stay? Yes. Is he inspiring the rest of the world uh, to come to the right side of history? Has every G7 leader, almost, gone there? Um, Yeah, so I do think there's a reason we put Churchill in this video. I think he's a modern-day... Uh, Churchill that's dragging the world to the right side of history.
0: Right. And he's trying to say this is more than my fight. Yes. But there's something about a guy that meets the moment that yeah. we don't see enough yes. that it inspired me and it certainly inspired you. And that comes out with this song. And then you said, OK, I watched the video. We played it on Fox and Friends. It was great. But then you something about uh, something happened that got you into the Ukraine. Yes. And got you with the Ukrainian orchestra. <laughs> and they got that piano. And then you write the
9: parts for all these pieces in that. I mean, I can't get my head around what you had to do. There are so many minor miracles that allowed this to happen. And the setting of plane in front of the Maria, the largest cargo plane in the world, the symbol of Ukrainian independence that Putin destroyed intentionally at the beginning of the year to gut them to put the orchestra. And me, in front of that plane, on that hollowed ground, um again, it was incredibly moving, but I think it's symbolic of the Ukrainian fortitude and stoicism you see in the faces of that orchestra, the whole Ukrainian people, and you understand why they're standing up to this Putin. Tyrant,
0: right? Nobody wants to be Russian. They want—they're looking west. They want to right. be east. Right. Russians don't even want to be Russian. Right. So, so John, and and they're up for freedom. They want to have their imperfect freedom, just like ours is imperfect. But we have our own. We'd like to write our own uh book, if that's okay. So, John, you get there because to save our allies. Yes. And you don't want to give details how you got there. Right. But you were content to do this in
9: Krakow. We flew to Krakow. We took a uh, took a quick it's a military operation so it's always fluid so whatever you think's going to happen is not going to happen we were supposed to have a safe house in Krakow but no we land you're gone 3 hours to the border they drop us at the border we walk across the border basically we're stranded we don't have a car we finally get a car we get to Lviv we chase a train we run on a train we literally <laughs> it was like a bad movie we jump on the train 9 hours later we're in Kiev. we thought we'd be shooting in a What do you su- mean we uh, me, Save Our Allies, Nick Palmashano, who was the lead kind of producer uh, as well as one of the heroes of Afghanistan. Hollywood Heard led an American production crew. And then we had some security support. Um, there was about ten of us there. Uh, we had uh, some Polish translators, Ukrainian translators. So it was a group of us. and uh, But then when we found out we could shoot uh, at the Andropov Airport in front of the, the Maria it all went to another level, and uh, I still can't believe it happened, um, but I'm so grateful.
0: So, John, you said, hey, uh, they go, how would you like to play the Ukrainian orchestra? And you, like, you said, I,
9: they have an orchestra? Well, I want to do this in Poland because Poland has been so good, taking all the refugees. Huge. And frankly, they're getting a little tired. They need a shot in the arm. So I was going to do this in Poland, but when they called and said, do you want to do with this Ukrainian orchestra? I said the exact same thing you did. Do they exist? And they didn't in the form they used to. They were scattered all over the country. But President Zelensky personally approved this, and I think he understood what we were trying to do. So we gathered everybody. We had four hours to record it uh, in the studio. We had four hours to, to film it. But you said something very important. You said the Russians don't even like this, and this is what this is all about, Brian. It's a salvo in the cultural war in this conflict. The Russians are politically isolated. They're culturally isolated. I mean, I'm sorry. They're politically isolated. They're economically isolated. We need to show them that the artists of the world are against them. The World Cup's going to be, be a big deal. They're, they're out. They're out. And they, you know, they're being told that they're the heroes. The Russian people are being told they're the heroes. But if we have a live aid type global concert with every huge artist singing at the end of October, that will get into Russia, and they will see that the world, the artists, their favorite artists, are right. against them, and they can topple this dude. So. What changed?
0: As much as you were moved to get there, to make the effort to be there, but when you play the song and you listen to it back, it's very moving. Thank you. But what is it like sitting there with a piano in the middle of the street, surrounded by this orchestra, and knowing what you're playing for?
9: The clarifying moment we were recording the orchestra in front of the plane, and I saw saw out of the corner of my eye an entourage coming, in military garb. Turned out it was the general who approved us shooting at this location, with Zelensky's permission. And he asked to hear the song. And I saw the orchestra kind of stiffen. And when we started playing, they took flight. They played with such vigor and pride. And halfway through the song, the generals and his entourage took out their phones. And they started taping it. Meanwhile, it's in English. Uh, It's in English. They don't understand the words. It shows the power of music. Everybody's crying. The general's crying. Every, you know... After we played, I lost it. Halfway through the song, I just lost it. I stopped playing and I just watched. But after, after we played, there was this silence, this heavy silence, and it hit me right away why we're there. These people are fighting for their survival. And with music, our common humanity, their fortitude, it was incredibly inspiring to me. And I understand why I Save Our Allies through these missions. I understand why heroes in our history go to Normandy, you know, bring the wall down. It's kind of that American spirit to support people whose freedom is under attack. Right. And it made sense. It made sense that moment why we were there.
0: Don't you also believe that we need a recalibration and things we take for granted? We have an ability to go do all these things and protest and (laughs) go at it and wonder where the line is. These people are fighting for their utter survival. And in your video are a bunch of pictures of people who have lost their lives prior to this since the unwarranted invasion by Russia to try to teach a lesson because they wanted to vote for their own leader.
9: You're so right. You know, people say, were you scared? Of course I was scared. Um, But you know what? I got to leave. They don't. They're under this oppression. Putin's trying to reconstitute the Soviet Union. All these things we squabble about here seem so trivial when you go to a country like that and understand people are dying for freedoms, freedoms that we take for granted every day.
0: Well, can one man save the world if you want to do something good today? Uh, and g- support Save Our Allies and be motivated by a song that will change or enhance your impression of this conflict. Download this
9: song right now, Can One Man Save the World? And uh, all the money goes to Save Our Allies. Videos on YouTube, Twitter, tweet it, share it. One man can't save the world alone. We're all in this together. So please share this, play it for your friends. The world needs to see it. Uh,
0: Fire for Fightings, John Drasic. Thanks so much, John. Great to see you in person again. Brian, you're awesome, my man. <laughs>
9: A
3: talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: We joke about the fact that President Biden's getting older, uh, but the fact that even his team is saying, you know, 10 days of consecutive work, thats just that's just too much for the man. We make jokes about it, but it's actually not funny. And as Joey's mentioning, you know, there's a job to be done. And we know that peak cognition does happen around age 30, which is why you have you say presidents minimum age to be president you have to be 35 peak cognition, peak physical strength. And now here we are with the president who it's, it's clear you don't have to be a treating physician to say that he's struggling a little physically and maybe mentally um, with his age and the subsequent uh, restrictions with that.
0: And that was uh, Dr. Sapphire just reading the story that we read, using a medical background to say, uh, President Biden not the same guy. I mean, there was a, we rejected him when he was at his prime, and he's a terrible campaigner. Uh, the worlds came together, and a pandemic hit, and he was able to campaign from his basement sporadically and erratically. And now people are realizing, to the tune of the New York Times specifically. That he slurs his words, he contradicts himself, he gets himself in trouble, he's um, declining physically, he shuffles, they're afraid he's going to trip over uh, wires, loses his train of thought, can only work five days a week, and can't do anything at night. I'm sorry, the, the presidency demands more. And Britt Hume has been saying it from day one. He's Fox News' senior political analyst. Uh, Britt, welcome back.
6: Thank you, Brian. Nice to talk to
0: you, Brent, It's almost as if they looked at a few your, uh, a few of your editorials, a few of your, uh, a few of your uh, rants, your comments, and said, rants. (laughs) uh, I mean, you you do get mad sometimes. Uh, Well, I do. Okay, so your commentaries. What was your thought that the New York Times wrote it so specifically?
6: Well, I think it's become so blatantly obvious, and it's obviously recognized uh, by so many people, as the New York Times poll published today illustrates. That there was just there's no getting around it anymore. And of course, this occurs in the in the in the uh, circumstance of a of a a midterm election in which the Democrats are forecast to lose one House of Congress at least, and possibly by a very great margin, uh, and maybe both houses, which would further cripple a presidency already already crippled by the fact that the president. Himself is is not in a good place.
0: Well, when you look at this, first off, sixty four percent of Democrats don't want him to run ag- run again. What I found most striking is sixty percent of those sixty five and up don't want him to run again. And I saw David Gergen said something similar to you. David Gergen, who served a, a Republican and Democratic presidents, tends to lean left. I watch him on on CNN all the time. He says. I I can he goes I'm not the same guy. I can't run anything now. And he's 80 and he seems on top of his game. He said this guy you should not be president at 80 years old.
6: Well, in Biden's case of course, this was all out there invisible um as far back as the campaign. And you know, all the the hiding of him during the uh, uh using the pandemic as an excuse um and, you know, people say, well, he couldn't possibly have gotten 81 million votes. And I agree with that. He didn't. Donald Trump got him uh, those votes. Donald Trump motivated uh, Republicans in a way that, that was beneficial to the party, no doubt about that. He brought in new voters, uh, and, uh, on, particularly on key issues, immigration, trade, and so on. But he motivated Democrats even more, and that's why we have Joe Biden as president.
0: So he has had 38 interviews. Trump had 116. Obama 198. Bush 71. He's only had 16 press conferences in almost two years. So there's a re- they're holding him back. I get. I mean, obviously for a reason.
6: Well, it's clear. I mean, look. The other the other issue here, Brian, is and you know, people are kind of tiptoeing around this. Biden was not too sharp to begin with. But I mean, we're not talking here about somebody who was really yeah. You know, it was really the sharpest knife in the drawer. And just over the passage of time or even suddenly, he kind of lost his way. Biden was no rocket scientist to start with. Um, You know, I wrote a piece about him going back to the late 1980s, a fairly long piece. Um, and you know, at the time when he was a senator, he was a bit of a laughing stock because he could clear the Senate gallery of reporters faster than anybody, with the possible exception of Connecticut Senator Lowell Weicker. And and I, Biden, I, when I was going to do the write the piece, I asked to see him, and he didn't want he didn't he didn't want to see me at first because he said he claimed I never covered him. <laughs> well, there was a reason for that, Brian. I didn't cover him because if there was a debate and he was involved then somebody else almost always said what he was saying better and shorter. And when I went, so we had a cup of coffee in the Senate dining room, and in, in which he was going to sort of interview me about why I wanted to see him and, and to decide whether he would actually do an interview. And he said, "You don't cover me? Why is that? Have you got something against me?" And I said, "No." He, he said, "Well, why is?" It? I said, "I said, uh, Senator, I think you're a windbag." Wow. <laughs> And he, he now, but to Biden's credit, this is why people have always liked him. He broke out laughing. He said, "Well, you're not the only one who thinks that." And he went and he went ahead, and we did the interview. We got along fine. Uh, but at the time, I mean, it was widely known that Biden, you know, would talk forever and never really say very much. And you know, he was a likable guy, and he had a lot of experience because he'd been there forever. He hadn't at the time, but by the time he became vice president, he certainly had. And but he was I mean, he was simply not a person right. uh, back in his Senate days who anybody really thought was presidential timber. And yet, by a confluence of circumstances, he became the president. And and he, and that was because uh, I think, you know, Trump was uniquely uh, uh, able to motivate Democratic voters. And Biden was the last man standing uh, and. And now we have him as president, and, and a big majority wish we didn't.
0: And, and it's worth saying that Trump did get more Republican votes than anybody else in history, 74 million, um, but it was not enough uh, to win. So on the other side, some intrigue, because you have a lot of uh, competent candidates with with a lot of talent. I mean, Senator Tom Cotton, Governor Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, uh, Christie Gnome, Mike Pompeo. You don't know who else is going to come from the last class. Uh, you probably Senator Ted Cruz, maybe Marco Rubio. So there's a lot of talent. Even if you, if, uh, Governor Youngkin, I just spent a day with him, could not be more impressed with, I think he's in it for the right reasons to, to give back. Uh, I'm, of course, he's got to have ego and he's got to have confidence. I get it. But I think he's got a great skill set regardless. A lot of intrigue. And listen to him. Yeah,
6: a, that's right. And look, the big, but there's a big question that, that hangs over this whole 2024 uh, campaign and that is what is Trump gonna do? We're now at a stage where the public is showing um its its disappointment with these elderly politicians. Um, Biden is unpopular in in part for that reason you saw all over the poll you see in the New York Times today. Uh Nancy Pelosi is ancient, um and you know Kamala Harris is thought uh young enough but not smart enough uh, the list goes on, and there's a sense that people want to move on to a new generation. Trump is pretty old himself, uh, and, and and you know he'd, he'd be he'd be almost as old as Biden was uh, when in 2020.
0: He's four years younger. Um, yeah,
6: and so and and so the question becomes: Will people want to move on? And if if uh, I know this young crop of Republican candidates that you mentioned, which is a fairly impressive group, uh, many of them look like you know they could could be president. What will happen if Trump announces? And the buzz is that he's gonna he's gonna do it and he's gonna announce soon. And when that happens, will I simply freeze the field and keep these people from moving forward with their candidacy? Will somebody take him on? If somebody takes him on and is able to beat him, which is, I think, possible, will the Trump voters that turned out in such numbers in 2016 and, and again in 2020, will they vote for yeah. somebody beside him? And would they ever vote for somebody who beat him?
0: So, That's so a big question, Brian. It, oh, they're great questions. And I thought C- Governor Chris Christie said something, who, who would says, who more than likely would run if Trump runs. Uh, here's what he said about what's different this time. Cut eight.
10: And that's in primary. Like, like that was a general election phenomenon in 2016. No one wanted to say they were voting for Trump over Hillary to a pollster. Now, in Republican primary polling, it is politically incorrect to say you're against you know, Trump.
2: And, and-
0: so he said, if you say you're against Trump and you want to run, it'll kill you. Like uh, Governor Hogan of Maryland's never going to get a shot. He's just an anti-Trumper. But can you run being Governor Yunkin? Yeah, well, I always like President Trump. It's did something's good. I think I could be a better candidate. Because if you just alienate the Trump voters, you'll end up like Liz Cheney.
6: Well, that's a concern. I mean, that's the worry. And, you know, I, my own sense is that the Republicans cannot win in 2024 with Trump. But they can't win. They may also not be able to win without his supporters. So how do you finesse that? I mean, Glenn Youngkin, as you just mentioned, did so to some extent in his race for governor in Virginia by, you know, he he never criticized Trump, but he kept his distance from Trump. How do you, but if the guy's in the race and on the, you know, on the primary ballots, you got to deal with him. And if, and if, and the other thing is this could affect 2022, Brian, because if, Trump comes out sometime in the near future and announces his campaign. Every Republican candidate in the country is going to be asked what is his position on Trump. And, you know, are you for him or are you against him? And what is the consequence of – and it's, I don't know how you finesse that.
0: You know, I almost you think say, he, you
6: know, he's not on this ballot. I'm not going to comment on that. We're going to wait and see. I don't think that will work. I think you're going to have to face it.
0: I think regardless, if Trump says he for some reason he's not going to run, let's say the AG – Interrogation and ridiculous lawsuits that are taking place here in New York uh, end up uh, being debilitating. Let's say something happens in Georgia that gives him in legal trouble, or something happens in from uh, something happened with Merrick Garland bringing charges against him. I feel like he's going to get out and in two or three times. I think that'll be part of the drama. And if he, so I think I could see that being an issue. You,
6: well, I think look. It's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon with this uh, January 6th committee that they are, you know, every time you, you look at something that they're excited about, it, it's always the further demolition of Donald Trump's image and reputation. That is what they're doing. And the question then arises is, is if they're successful in doing that and it keeps Trump off the stage, um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that it can, but if it did, would it help the Republicans more than it would help the Democrats? I think there's a very good chance it could help the Republicans more.
0: I, I like with some... Yeah, go ahead.
6: Well, I'm just thinking the, the record the Democrats have made so far under 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 uh, Biden is about as much trouble as I've ever seen a party stir up for itself, in, at least of all in such a short period of time. It's amazing um, what's happened. So so so, but, if Trump is in the middle of things and and is still motivating Democrats and the more you know the more damage is done to his reputation, the more Democrats will fear him and come out to oppose him um you know i i, I think it's I, I think it's the the key question, and maybe even for twenty twenty two
0: i I know what I love is when someone as experienced as you are is also intrigued by uh this so much of this is unprecedented. And I want to bring you to the other, uh, other issue, and I think is a huge problem, and I think it's these protests. And when I saw Justice Kavanaugh got forced out of Morton's, had to leave out the back door, Morton's comes out saying these protests are out of control, and now they're starting to harass Morton's Steakhouse and starting to call in phony reservations and continue the protests around establishments, which means how many people, if you're Justice Kavanaugh or Justice Thomas or Alito- do you, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, do you want to go anywhere and hurt a local business? Are so you going to end up holed up at some house, surrounded by security at some lake? So here's what President Biden said. You would think he'd have maturity in this moment. Cut 20.
1: Women who were protesting outside the White House yesterday.
0: Yes, keep protesting because keep making your
8: point. It's critically important. We can do a lot of things to accommodate the rights of women. In the meantime, but fundamentally, the only thing that's going to change this.
0: And the only thing he keeps saying from the from the press secretary to himself, keep protesting, people are upset, just keep it peaceful. That's not going to work.
6: I think people are disgusted by this sort of behavior. And there's one other thing, Brian, that's, 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 that's clear as a bell here that these protesters and others can't seem to see, which is that Washington and the Supreme Court... Are not the arena for the abortion issue anymore. The arena is now the states and the, and the state legislatures. And <coughs> excuse me, these protesters, if they want to get something done, go, get into the get out to the states that don't have abortion rights and and work for them. Um, try to get the legislatures to pass measures that will ensure that they have a chance. Uh, my own view is that over time. Uh, we will have very few states that allow abortion all the way up to the moment of birth, and very few that disallow them entirely. We will end up with a, the with a kind of compromises where they're allowed up to a certain period of time, or, or they're not allowed, but there are but they're exceptions and so on. And this will all work out. Um, but in the meantime, the protests and all the noise is happening in the wrong place. The, the action is really not now in Washington.
0: But, Brady, they're making it worse by making up scenarios that don't exist. If women are not going to be able to leave their state, we will provide transport. We're going to, be able to make it possible. If the women are going to be prosecuted for having an abortion, we'll make sure they have legal help. If there's contraception bans, we'll be able to step. What are you talking about? You're making up things that don't even matter to inflame the situation. Can anyone be mature here?
6: Well, it doesn't seem so at the moment. It, you know, the, the, the debate looks remarkably silly and out of focus. Um, you know, you hear that uh, women would not be able to be treated for ectopic uh, pregnancies and so on. Um, but, but there you go. I mean, that's uh, that, that's not illegal anywhere in the country. And uh, so, you know, the actions now at the, in the states. If you want to want to get something done on the issue, um, work in those places. Let the democratic process work.
0: Brid Hume, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Glad
6: to talk to you, Brian, as
0: always. All right. Thank you, sir. 1-866-408-7669. That was Britt Hume. He put out a lot of questions. Even he's intrigued by this moment in political history. Don't move. Going want to get your take in just a moment.
3: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: I always love having uh, Britt Ume on and to have John O'Drazik too, to this hour. I thought I, I thought it was really great. I do want to point out that we finally got, with all the pandemic, it took forever to finally organize and get four venues all set up. But I have four venues set up, and I hope you guys can join me. Uh, maybe on all four of them. Why not? Uh, in Newark, New Jersey, uh, Saturday, August 27th. I'll be talking about uh, uh, bringing you inside Fox, bringing you inside sports. Also, it's a lot of fun, and we talk about basically winning the war on history and why America has been great from the start. So August twenty seventh, 2002, if you want to come down there in person, Intimate Studio, New Jersey Performing Arts Center. So that'll be uh, – go to com. It'll just tell you how to buy the tickets. Then the next week, September 8th, in Albany, New York, at The Egg, Empire State Plaza in Albany, New York – uh please join me there uh tickets are now available uh Brandon also VIP access this is where we can meet before the show in Brandon Missouri uh Saturday November 12th uh that'll be at City Hall live and that's when my book The President of Freedom Fighter comes out on paperback and then the next uh, the next day I'll be in Oklahoma I hope I can do that at the Cox Convention Center uh in Tulsa so please get your tickets early because I don't I can't manufacture them especially in this age of everybody Making sure uh, that it is uh, COVID friendly. So get your tickets early. Uh, Just go to briankilme.com or just go to Ticketmaster. Uh, You just find out about the Fox stories, Inside Sports stories. You'll be able to actually interact, and we'll talk about not only what's in the news, but uh, in America's past. Told the right way.
3: Brian Kilme, Chair. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade.
0: Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A lot of you did not come to work for a week. That's fine. We were here, took July 4th off, and then we were back. I get the sense I had to wait a long time for an elevator that people are back in, at 48th and 6th in midtown Manhattan. I don't know about you. I know, too, in Virginia, I saw this story that Governor Yunkin said, hey, state workers, can you guys come back to work? And if not, you probably have to find another job. So many people have just quit. They don't want to work five days a week anymore. What happened to this country? Uh, We're going to be joined by Michael Goodwin shortly, and then we're going to talk to Michael Rubin, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, uh, to talk about what the president's uh, Saudi Arabian trip that I think he takes off on Tuesday. So let's get to the big three.
3: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. I am here to sound the alarm about a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources who poses threat to his people to the americans and to the planet
0: that is Saad sad alabrari on 60 minutes talking about what he thinks mbs is doing in saudi arabia uh, they're trying to kill his family he was forced from the country he's not happy president biden takes his old show on the road now the big stop is saudi arabia the problem is he needs them now but vilified them for years and it's no longer obama's middle east it's trump's thanks to the abraham accords but guess who gets no credit Trump. Guess who gets no mention? The Abraham Accords. Will Joe blow this one up, too? Number two.
11: Well, the buck
5: never actually stops with him, does it? This is the beauty of Joe Biden and his presidency. It's never his fault. If it's not the Russians, then it's the Republicans or it's
0: whoever. That is Pierce Morgan, Biden's two-pronged approach to the economy. Blame and deny. Number
2: one, we joke about the fact that President Biden's getting older, um, but the fact that even his team is saying, you know, 10 days of consecutive work, yeah. that's just that's just too much for the man.
0: And they were talking about coming home from the G7 before he went to Saudi Arabia. Dr. Nicole Sapphire from The New York Times lets you know that Joe must not go for reelection in a damning report on his aging performance, which reaffirms what we've been saying since he campaigned in his basement. He's too old, and he lost his fastball and his sinker and his changeup. Michael Goodwin's got a huge repertoire, and he has not lost his fastball. New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor, joins us now. Michael, did you read the, the place they used to employ you, the New York Times? Put a scathing column uh, full of quotes from people that have been working with him about his ability to do this job. Did you read it?
7: Uh, Yes, Brian, it is. uh, It is shocking. And yes, I uh, I did my undergraduate work at the New York
1: Times.
7: (laughs) (laughs) But uh, look, I I mentioned uh, two pieces uh, in the last couple of months, and this to me is the confirmation. The the first was that uh, Democrats were talking about crime, and it was therefore, you know, Democratic candidates in a number of particularly cities, mayoral candidates, were talking about crime. And therefore, crime was no longer a taboo subject among Democrats. That was the signal you can campaign on crime from The New York Times, which I think most people don't fully recognize, Brian, is the brains behind the Democratic Party, such as it is. They lead it. it. it really creates the talking points. It largely creates the agenda. It gives permission slips. It denies certain things. It has given a permission slip to talk about crime. And then more recently, it took the same treatment to Biden uh, himself and this issue that people were looking for alternatives. And again, you saw the Democratic Party respond. You have more people talking about it. More, it's a more open thing. Should he run again and now finally this piece they do a poll or or, or they they uh i guess they commission a poll with a cna college a a legitimate pollster and they come back with this finding which is 64 percent of democratic voters saying they would prefer a new standard bearer in 2024 64 percent I mean, Joe Biden is a dead man walking as far as Democrats are concerned. And I think The New York Times has has taken up the mantle now. It's going to make sure it happens. I mean, The Times is, is nothing if it isn't the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party.
3: It's a Harris and, poll.
7: in uh, addition to being its brain. So it's now right. it's now taken over the party's thinking on this issue.
0: Sixty percent of those polls are 65 and up. So don't act like it's a bunch of 30-year-old whippersnappers who don't have any patience for grandpa. Those people who are seniors say he shouldn't be president. David Gergen quoted in the same article, says, I'm 80. I should not be president. I should not be running anything. And I'm not putting him down. He's putting himself down, saying that that's 80-year-olds. It's too much of a job right now. They point out, uh, they point out too, that he's walking. He's aging before our eyes. He, he's walking back the comments in China, walking back his comments about Vladimir Putin must go. He mixed up Ukraine and Iran. A few times he's called Vice President Harris, President Harris. He calls Senator Warner John Warner instead of Mark Warner. John Warner's dead. Mark, John Warner is currently the senator from Virginia who is only a, a stone's throw away. They also talk about how they break down his schedule with the most damning. He can't work five days. He, five days, that's it. And he doesn't do anything at all at night, and they don't overload his schedule. You can't do the, you cannot do this job like this. And Peter Baker wrote it. Hardly wakes up in the morning thinking I got to destroy, uh, I got to destroy Joe Biden today. So it makes you wonder if that's why Pritzker and Gavin Newsom are now out there.
7: Look, I, I mean, I think you're right, and, and there's another damning number in here too, Brian, that uh, you mentioned senior voters. Uh, Ninety four percent. This is in the time survey of Democrats under the age of 30 said they would prefer a different candidate. Ninety four percent. I mean, that's the end of the youth vote for the Democratic Party. Um, and so, uh, look, Joe Biden. Uh, it never made sense. I mean, you have to go. You know, think of 2020 and the whole thing that he campaigned from his basement because of COVID. I mean, it was it was a very strange election in so many ways. Uh, and here we got a president who's just not up to the job. And look, I, I think uh, there's another element too, Brian. And it really is. I mean, Steve. Hilton was making this point on Fox last night. The corruption, you know, the the Hunter Biden connection to so many of these countries and the money – you know, that Joe Biden has been in government his entire adult life. Where did he get all the money to buy these houses and things? Why did, I mean, where did all this come from? And, and so I think that in many ways Joe Biden is a relic. He, I, I've compared him to the Tammany Hall uh, creatures of, of yore in New York, where they basically, as one of them said, I seen my opportunities and I took them. Government was a way to get rich. Government was a way to have power and protection for yourself and your friends and your family right. and to make a lot of money doing it. And I just think it's undeniable that there is a thread, the, the big guy getting his 10 percent cut. This was not the first time Joe Biden got a cut of Hunter's money. I right. believe it with all my heart.
0: And by the way, there's, where is the money? Uh, that where yeah. is the money? What, what is going on there? And on some level, I've always thought this, I, I think that Hunter wants to do in his family. And I do. On some level, he's almost taunting them with that book and with these details, taping everything, putting voicemails in the cloud. Are you kidding? So I want yeah. you to hear, if you want to hear, this is a little bit of a non-sequitur, but it's the same genre. Kamala Harris was on Face the Nation, and I've never seen a bigger layup of an interview ever in my life. And listen to this question to Kamala Harris. Cut for Finish this sentence for me. Americans need to vote for Democrats in November because...
1: Our democracy is on the ballot. Truly. Truly. If you look at an issue like choice, it's on the ballot. A woman's right to make decisions about her own body... And potentially, what can happen in the not too distant future around issues like access to and right. and making.
0: I mean, are you are you kidding me?
1: Well, and and, and I love this idea: democracy is on the
7: ballot. That is precisely what the Supreme Court said: that that abortion should be decided in a democratic fashion. It should be decided by voters and their representatives. I mean, it, is said, it said the same thing about the EPA and emissions. Uh, you know, every, everything, the, the Times wrote that uh, the court lurches to the right. EPA and emissions was the same thing, in a sense, Brian. It said mm-hmm. that Congress has to make these decisions, not the administrative state, not bureaucrats. You would think that people who really believe in democracy would say, yeah, That's the point of our Constitution, is that the powers are delegated to the federal government are few. Most powers are delegated to the states and their representatives, which is the democratic process. I mean, why Democrats won't accept the democracy that's in the Constitution, why they want a big federal government with Supreme Court making all the decisions, that's, to me, anti-democratic.
0: Right, and lastly, the President of the United States is making the most of this Roe v. Wade. He's making up scenarios that don't exist. Abortion pills are going to be banned. If you go to another state, you're going to be arrested. Women aren't going to be able to travel. Same-sex marriage is going to be banned. You're not going to be able to use contraception. And then the President last week brings up this story of a 10-year-old that was raped, uh, was a rape victim, and had to leave their state to get an abortion. Horrible. The only problem is, it more than likely is not true. Never fact-checked. According to, uh, according to, uh, fact-che- to the uh, fact-check, uh, it Glenn Kessler in the Washington Post, nobody can find this story. Nobody could see any type of uh, harassment complaint or any sexual assault story in this state. Uh, and how could he possibly get into a president's remarks and make up such a horrific story and not be true?
7: You know, I guess the first question would be, was it in the prepared remarks, or did he ad lib it, as has been the issue with so many of his other mistakes, right, mm-hmm. that he was appointed to the Naval Academy of Regime Change in Russia? All of these things, they're not in the prepared remarks. Uh, Taiwan will defend Taiwan militarily. Three times he has said the same thing, and none of it is American policy. It's never its never part of the program. So, this probably is another one of those where he makes it up. he thinks he the story about the uh the uh, the porter on the on amtrak right totally made up kind of stuff, and he repeats it and so yes it 's true. it seems as though the the staff is running the office of the presidency, but they 're not doing a very good job of running the president. I mean he goes out there and says these things that are. Uh,
0: just not true, and this could be another one. It's a big one, and it's a 10-year-old that he said had, was a rape victim, uh, and she was forced to have to travel out of state to Indiana to seek to terminate the pregnancy and maybe save her life. Great. Uh, not happen, didn't happen, so let's make everything worse. And the Supreme Court justice protests that he says keep protesting, make it peaceful, knowing that they're being harassed outside their homes, knowing that Justice Kavanaugh just got forced out of a Morton's restaurant, He doesn't mind that. I mean, is that that to me is 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 just inexcusable. Um, We'll see where this goes, Michael.
7: You know, Brian, it's not going anywhere good. And the problem is uh, not just 2024, of course, it's the next two years. I mean, there's more than two years left in Joe Biden's term. And I've I've said to you uh, numerous times, I don't see how he finishes this term. I mean, the way he's in obvious decline, the problems that, that have been created on his watch and the weakness that he projects internationally, uh, it is hard to see how he's still, he's still there two and a half years from now.
0: Yeah, repeat the line. It's hard to believe he's going to be there two and a half years from now. That's what was in the prompter, so I just wanted to repeat that line. I mean, he actually <laughs> repeated that line. Repeat the line. So, and by the way, his staffer should be fired. I mean, you know what you're dealing with, and you put that in the prompter.
7: Well, and those instructions, right? The cheat sheet. You, you take your seat. Yeah. You, yeah you know, well, well, whose seat should he take? Yeah. I mean, whose seat would he take if it wasn't written down? He should take his own seat. I mean, he had a card in his hand, like hand for people
0: at home to know. He had a card in his hand to say, when you walk into the room, take your seat, uh, and the most basic, rudimentary things that you would think maybe an eight year old would need written out, maybe an eight year old. He has to have it written out as president of the United States. Unbelievable. Michael, thanks so much.
7: Always a pleasure, Brian. Thank All you.
0: Right. You got it. Listen, it's your turn next. I know you have a lot to say. 1866 408 We'll talk about that, the president's trip over to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and we'll talk about, as well, the, uh, the economy. Where you think it is and why, do you, why you're not buying that it's now Republicans' fault.
3: Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
1: I don't see any reason to think that we will have uh, a serious recession. Inflation is is our problem. And it is our top priority. Uh, and so I think you know, perhaps a transition to a more traditional growth level, but I don't think we should be talking ourselves into a recession.
0: You know, Gina Raimondo was blessed to put out there and she's known as somebody that is relatively reliable for that administration, but she had absolutely no energy, was not convincing. I know it's, uh, when you get the Janet Yellen and the accountants of the world and people in the, with the economies who are economics background, they're not used to broadcasting. So I'll give her that. But she was a former governor. You go out there and don't rah-rah me, but just let me know that you care, you understand, and you're, you're convicted of what you say. There was no energy in that. So it's true. The president's got 3.6 uh, unemployment. Should be happy. The president added 370,000 jobs. that thought he was going to add 280. Should be happy. But the But a lot of other stuff really has people discouraged. I mean, uh, economically, just giving an example of what has people discouraged. Average gas is down 30 cents, but it's already just that's on $4.70 a gallon. That's an all-time high prior to this incredible unprecedented surge. The average family has to spend another $460 in extra money on food and clothing and gas. The Fed is about to up the interest rates again. Might be good to the macroeconomists, but I don't hang out with macroeconomists. The average person says, I guess I'm putting off my house. I guess I'm not renegotiating my house. I guess I am not moving. I'm not getting my first house. I guess I will continue to rent. 40% of Americans say the number one priority is inflation. 50% of you say the personal finances are a major issue Now in the Biden economy, to me, that's pretty significant. You have 80% fall off of the S&P, the 80% uh, 80 fall off of the S&P since 2022. And that's the real economy. I'm not cheering for inflation. I mean, I am not cheering for a recession. But the experts are saying the only thing that's keeping us out of this is the fact that we have 11 million open jobs, 7 million without a job. And that's what's doing it. And the rest of the world is sucking wind. The supply chains have not been solved. Simple things like air travel has not been addressed. We're not having – the trains aren't running on time. Our goods aren't getting here on time. Things cost more. Look around. If there's anything we expected from our politicians is not to run our lives, it's just to do the things that allow us to run our lives effectively. And this administration – mostly through their own moves, starting with oil and gas, and our reputation with Afghanistan, is solely to blame. Michael Rubin next.
3: If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This
10: administration is full bore in relations with China. China is probably the largest human rights abuser on the face of the planet, uh, although Russia is trying to give them a run for their money. And we've had relations with Saudi Arabia for 90 years, actually 91, because the diplomatic uh, relations were established in 1931. So this is a little bit late. But uh, look, picking up a page from Trump and trying to move it forward and get Saudi into the... Into the Abraham Accords would be a great step forward. Uh, we shouldn't be over there begging quail.
0: Right now, that is Robert Charles, uh, former naval intelligence officer, and also had roles in the State Department. Michael Rubin joins us now, senior fellow at the A at AEI, where he specializes in Iran, Turkey, and the broader Middle East. The President's going to the Middle East. Michael, it's a much different Middle East than the president last visited six years ago, wouldn't you say?
10: I would absolutely. Unfortunately for President Biden, it seems to be a little bit too little too late. His strategy is falling on deaf ears. Um, he just seems completely out of touch with the reality. And I'm afraid that um, moving forward with his Saudi trip, it's not going to end well for him.
0: Already, the already, Saudis reportedly already have parameters. They do not want to talk about any social issues, they don't want to talk about human rights, they don't want to talk about Khashoggi, and they will not even put on the table their oil alliance with Russia.
10: Well, you're absolutely right, Brian. I mean, the Saudis feel like they're in the driver's seat. They also believe that President Joe Biden humiliated them uh, for purely domestic reasons. They don't believe that he understands the threats which the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels in Yemen play. And when it comes to that oil production alliance with Moscow, remember, that's what the Biden administration blames in part for the high oil prices. So it's curious what Joe Biden expects to get. When we talk about the Saudis having long memories, they're still complaining about the way they were treated during the oil embargo back in the 1970s. This notion that President Biden for his progressive base can bash a longtime ally that's always stood behind us when we needed them and then turn around and support us after the gratuitous um, treatment which Joe Biden dispensed to them, it it really is unbelievable.
0: So just picture this. For people that don't really want to memorize the region or travel there, just know it's, it's important. And understand this: The Houthi rebels take over a friendly government. Whatever you thought of the Yemeni government, they were friendly to the Saudis. The Houthi rebels are supported by Iran. Without Iran support, they don't exist, or they're not an effective, uh, they're not an effective force. And they decide to start lobbing rockets into Saudi Arabia. So Saudi Arabia and not only. Rockets and Saudi Arabia starts hitting back, and now they're the because they were. uh, Listen, Saudis weren't smooth with what they were doing with the blockade and everything, but they were responding to attacks. Correct
10: that 's absolutely correct and let's let 's just be clear they weren 't attacking military targets; they were lobbing rockets at civilian airfields, not only in Saudi Arabia but also in the United Arab Emirates. Now, when we look at president joe biden 's op ed, which he wrote a couple days ago in The Washington Post to presage uh, this trip, what Joe Biden showed in that op ed is he simply doesn 't understand the Saudi security concerns. Now, this denialism that the rockets there were really iranian backed let me tell you this, I used to live. In in Yemen, as you know, I've gone to arms markets in Yemen. When I've been to arms markets in Yemen, I didn't see any anti-ship missiles in the desert markets of Yemen. Those anti-ship missiles are recent imports through the Islamic Republic of Iran. Um, Joe, I mean, the Saudis aren't going to put their national security on the line for what they see as Joe Biden trying to relieve domestic pressure, because unfortunately his record back in the United States on resolving the petroleum prices, inflation, and so forth, uh, is so poor.
0: We're speaking with uh, Michael Rubin about the president's upcoming trip to Saudi Arabia. So we know, in sometime in campaign rhetoric, you say things to get attention to win elections. I got it. But out of nowhere, he talked about the, how much contempt he has for Saudi Arabia. How he says there are pariah in the region. They were going to be isolated, and he was basically going to demand reforms and not not interact. He has totally changed his tune because one is real politics. It's like they're not perfect, but they're, they're our preferred ally. And one is some fantasy world in which Saudi Arabia doesn't matter. And that world, even Donald Trump as a rookie politician, picked up right away. And he was able to leverage the Saudi and Israeli flourishing relationship to normalize trade relations with Israel and other nations. And right now, even though it's not formalized, Israel does not have an enemy in Saudi Arabia because they have one thing in common. They all hate Iran. What has the president done with Iranian relations that's different from Trump's, Michael Rubin?
10: Well, if you actually look at the timeline of Iran's nuclear program, what you find is that The Iranians waited until Joe Biden was in office before they ratchet up their uranium production because they were afraid of Trump. They're not afraid of Biden. Now, when Biden writes before his trip that he's committed to continuing with this 2015 nuclear deal that no one but himself and his progressive base thinks works, that's something that doesn't go over well with the Saudis. They don't feel that he understands their security needs. Now, it's fair to criticize Saudi human rights, although in a diplomatic way. But two things here. Is it better to throw the baby out with the bathwater, push Saudi Arabia into the arms of China and Russia, which is what he did? At the same time, I hate to tell you this, but there's no angels in the Middle East. This notion that somehow the Houthis are angels and the Saudis are deserving of contempt, that's not the way you treat American allies. That's not the way to signal that diplomacy is back.
0: Absolutely not. It'll blow up. And why not just acknowledge the Abraham Accords and build on it? I mean, in the past, one administration to the next would pick up Middle East policy. They changed it. I got it. But you have a change of embassy. You have a change in Middle East for the better. And now the Palestinian issue has been marginalized with that corrupt government. People are recognized. They're, uh, you can't deal with them. So why not just take advantage of that? Having said that, how do you think this will come out this weekend, this week?
10: Well— Ultimately, I can't imagine that the Saudis are going to try to throw Joe Biden a life raft before the November 2022 elections. They might treat him politely. There might be some high-level snubs, however. But ultimately, I think that Joe Biden is going to come back empty-handed. If he wants to address oil prices at home, he's got to be serious about domestic oil production. He can't help hope for any uh, life rafts from those whom he's
0: bashed around in the Middle East. Here's what Governor Greg Abbott said just about that. Cut 18.
6: It's so embarrassing and so two-faced by the Biden administration uh, going off to Saudi Arabia begging for them to produce more oil when uh, we have the oil right here uh, in the state of Texas. Texas uh, is one of the, if not the most prolific producer of oil in the entire
0: world. Obviously, any kids vilifying oil and gas by not producing enough and not refining fast enough when maximum refinery capacity has been reached, And he's been vilifying fossil fuels from before he was elected.
10: You're, you're absolutely right there. Um, he simply shoots from the cuff. He believes that his democratic, um, democratic base is what's reflected on Twitter. He doesn't realize how far out of the mainstream Twitter and he are right now. And let's also look at fossil fuels. The fact of the matter is, with technology, they've become a lot more clean. Um, you can't expect people who are trying to live uh, paycheck to paycheck to prioritize um, some super expensive alternative energy which frankly doesn't work all that well anyway, Uh, frankly, Joe Biden just seems out of his element. And the Saudis are completely frustrated by this, even if they wanted to work with his administration.
0: So uh, I see him heading over to the Middle East and seeming desperate and been able to walk it back. But you know what's interesting? His left wing of his base is upset at him. They don't want him going over there.
10: Well, that's, that's ultimately what I mean. There's this notion that there's some sort of angel in the Middle East. The, what Joe Biden needs to understand is what every president, Democrat and, and Republican before him understood, that we are under threat by the ideology of the Islamic Republic of Iran. In the founding statutes of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, it defines the purpose as export of revolution, which the Iranians in turn defined as waging insurgency. There's no way to diplomatic. Explain that. He's got to be serious about the Iranian problem, and until he is, um, it doesn't matter what the domestic base thinks, he's going to lose the outside world. Again, so much for diplomacy being back. If Joe Biden is so arrogant, he refuses to look at perspectives outside Washington. And the
0: people he's dealing with are irrational. They think we're going to turn to windmills, they think we're going to turn to solar panels and be able to make up for high gas and oil prices or Fossil fuels. Listen to Congresswoman FEMBRA, fellow squad member, Pramila Jayapal. Listen to this, cut 14.
1: I don't think that this is a good idea. I think that we are essentially sublimating human rights at this point with the president going for this visit. That's not to say that I don't think that the United States should have engagement with countries that we disagree with. But to go, to have the president go, essentially what feels to me a bit of of hat in hand, begging for help on the oil front, when we know that the president knows and has been clear about this during the campaign, that Saudi Arabia and MBS have committed incredible atrocities, war crimes with uh, Khashoggi, and we know that there hasn't been accountability for that yet.
0: Unbelievable. Final thought?
10: What's actually interesting is even the Turks have dropped their, um, their criminal court case against um, MBS with regard to Khashoggi. Look, when I talk to Saudi liberals very quickly, what they say is the narrative we have here about chopping up a journalist is wrong. Now, that's wrong, too, but what they say is, the way they see it, is one Saudi intelligence officer was killed by other Saudi intelligence officers for a reason they don't know. The situation is much more complicated, and it pays for Joe Biden to uh, listen to his experts in the intelligence community and so forth, rather than simply listen to the squad on Twitter.
3: Uh, yeah,
0: I would think so, and I would think that would be his instincts. And his instincts or are being ill-served by his chief of staff, Ron Klein whose job it is, whose beat it is, to work the squad. And he seems to be won over by the squad, and it's going into every speech uh, the president gets. And those important lines, we all know he wants to repeat them because they wrote it in the prompter. Uh, Michael, thanks so much. And last, before we go, just real quick, do you think Turkey's going to have any success working to, uh, with Russia on opening up the Black Sea?
10: Uh, Turkey is working fist-in-glove with Russia to, um, to help Russia evade sanctions. They're not interested in opening the Black Sea unless they get paid ham- handsomely for it.
0: So that's a no. Michael Rubin, yeah. by the way, they are NATO. I don't know why, uh, but they are. Michael Rubin, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got it. one 408 7669 We come back. I'll have a chance to open up the phones and find out what you have to say. Also, if you want to write me you're at work. Briankillme.com. just click on comments. Don't move.
3: Expanding your knowledge base It's the Brian Kilmeade Show Radio that makes you think This is the Brian Kilmeade Show
4: I am here to sound the alarm About a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources, who poses threat to his people, to the Americans, and to the planet. A psychopath? A psychopath with no empathy, doesn't feel emotion, never learned from his experience, and we have witnessed atrocities and crimes committed by this killer.
0: That is former intelligence director that worked hand-in-glove, reportedly, with uh, Mike Morrell, former CIA director and assistant CIA director for a couple of administrations, who people really respected here, reportedly. Uh, I know people have it's uh, complex issues, but especially when it comes to the Saudis. Who was forced out of power by MBS, the 34-year-old prince who runs the country. The king is old and decrepit. And he was the one behind the Khashoggi killing by almost all accounts. Now, everybody that was with Najaf, the old leader, uh, is hunted down. That's the way the Middle East works. It's terrible. That happens constantly, as you know. It's the way the Russians work, too, by the way, and the way the Chinese work. So they're hunted down. Now, this guy is in Canada, decided to speak anyway to 60 Minutes, and say he's a horrible person that's capable of doing anything. So – that's the downside of working on MBS. And having said all that, most intelligence experts agree, and other administrations have concluded that MBS is a person to work for. That's why it was so unbelievably irresponsible of the president of the United States to use that as a talking point during his time when he was a candidate, when he was former chairman of foreign relations, and knows there's a downside to alienating Saudi Arabia. Who's going to replace him, Iran? And what the president's trying to do is get Iran back into back into the family of nations in order to get their oil back of the market to bring the price down, which is a lark. They're never going to do that. Ron, and thankfully the the, the Iranians are holding off. Ron, you're listening on KSLM in Oregon. Hey, Ron.
11: Brian, I'm going to tell you right now, this president is doing everything America lasts to destroy us. It's cost me an extra $4,000 so far this year on my food, and my fuel. Yes, I have a diesel. It gets 21 miles to a gallon, which is very good because we do extra stuff to get the best efficiency possible. What this president is doing is basically kicking Israel in the teeth, destroying our alliance with, since Kevin Coolidge, the alliance that we have with Saudi Arabia, and everything else, to to cater to China, to make us less, make us vulnerable They're attacking us. A Navy person from 32 years ago, i been out attacking our ships, threatening our allies, and we're going to go back to the table with Iran so we can be subservient and be the laughingstock of the world, and you wonder why Saudi Arabia can go. Have there any one president like Trump that talked to Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Israel on one trip and pitched things up to touch things together, including Abraham, of course, with Sudan and other countries, and yet this guy or the people that's running this, crazy gentleman,
0: we Ron, I, I understand your frustration. We
11: need you don't, frustration. You don't. Need, you don't mad. need. A
0: degree, you don't need a degree from uh, Brown University to understand that he had uh, he had a uh, Middle East that was much more settled. He had momentum going to bring Saudi Arabia in the most uh, to have trade relations and recognize the existence of Israel. He had a chance to do all that, even with the change in leadership with Israel, and he didn't do it because it's the Abraham Accords, and that was Trump's thing. And he wouldn't even acknowledge that, which shows an insecurity that goes beyond somebody that's been doing this for 40 years. It's crazy. The other big story, of course, is Roe v. Wade and how the president is reacting to that. He, instead of calming things down and saying, vote, and I understand you want to make an election issue, you want to make sure the carnage is not that bad in the midterms. I would say this, what you do is don't bring up the fact that contraception is next, same-sex marriage is on the docket, that they're not going to allow women to, women are going to be arrested if they go to another state in order to have an abortion. You don't do that. Instead, he does all those things, inflames things that already have people on edge. Listen to Vice President Harris. Did Democrats fail past Democratic presidents,
3: congressional leaders to not codify Roe v. Wade over the past five decades?
1: I think that, to be very honest with you, I I do believe that we should have rightly believed, but we certainly believe that certain issues are just settled. Certain issues are just settled.
5: Clearly we're not.
1: No, that's right. And that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled (laughs) times.
0: Perfect. Uh, That settles it. So that's Vice President Harris. Had the biggest series of layup questions you will ever get as a world leader, ever, Uh, as a U.S. leader. I'm not sure what the rest of the world would do. But they're giving her more stuff to do. They're putting her in more press conferences. They're seeing if she can do it. It also shows that they lost confidence in the president as the Democratic Party. This is her audition. And if you watch that interview, you cannot feel great about it. Hey, go to Brian Find it by four live shows. Get ticket. to near you
3: from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade.
0: Thanks so much for being here, buddy. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Jonathan Turley has been uh, summoned, and he's responded to the call. He'll be with us to break down some of these protests, the horrible protests at Morton's. uh, Justice Kavanaugh doesn't seem to bother the administration at all. Don't they know it's not going to stop there? Are they familiar with the fact that they have people that don't like them and that they will find out where their cabinet secretaries live and their officers live and their administrators live because they are encouraging people to protest? And have no problem with doing it at residences or at restaurants. I can't believe that. Maybe he can. Gianna Russo will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. One of our favorite all-time guests. Author of The Hollywood Godfather. Who had many interactions with James Caan. And who was famous as Sonny in The Godfather. And famous Brian Song. I want to get his take uh, on that mob. uh, On the mob and James Caan and where it goes. He's also in his book. So we'll talk about both those things,
4: but let's get to the Big Three.
3: Now, with the stories you need to To know, know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
4: I am here to sound the alarm about a psychopath killer in the Middle East with infinite resources who poses threat to his people, to the Americans, and to the planet.
0: And they're talking about MBS, but the president's going to meet with him anyway. And that was Saad Alibari, who used to work with Najaf who used to run, used to be a prince that was in power in Saudi Arabia, but was ousted by MBS. Biden takes his old show on the road, the big stop, Saudi Arabia. The problem is he needs them now, but will uh, but vilified them for years, and no longer it's no longer Obama's Middle East. We'll explain. Number two.
5: Well, the buck never actually stops with him, does it? This is the beauty of Joe Biden and his presidency. It's never his fault. If it's not the Russians, then it's the Republicans, or it's whoever.
0: That is Pierce Morgan of course. Biden's two-pronged approach to the economy, blame and deny.
12: Number 1. We
2: joke about the fact that President Biden's getting older, um, but the fact that even his team is saying, you know, 10 days of consecutive work, yep. that's just that's just too much for the man.
0: Yeah, that is Dr. Nicole Sapphire, responding to that huge story about Joe Biden's schedule that reveals he is not on his game. Even The New York Times says Joe must not go for reelection in a damning report on his aging and his performance and his work ethic. We'll discuss that. But first things first, Jonathan Turley, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, He is a law professor at George Washington University, as well as a contributor here. First off, I just got to get your take on the Morton story. The fact that Justice Kavanaugh has to leave out the kitchen through his, with his family because of protesters on the outside, he gets protested at home, he can't go out to dinner with his family. Jonathan, you must be incensed.
5: I am. And what's disturbing is that this should not be a difficult call. It would not be a difficult call for the vast majority of Americans. But it seems to be an insurmountable burden for the president and his cabinet members to simply condemn this practice. Nobody is questioning the right to protest. That's That's often the only point they address. Nobody's saying they don't have that right. What we're saying is it's wrong. You can use things that you have a right to do in a wrong way, and this is wrong. It's wrong to harass and hound judges and justices because you don't agree with how they interpret the Constitution. And it's dangerous. This was an individual who just recently had an alleged attempted murder uh, take place at his house. He was an attempted assass- assassination of this justice. And yet people like Buttigieg and others can't get themselves to simply condemn it and to say, you know what, it's too much. You know, We can protest and we can object and we can be passionate, but we don't have to hound and harass Members of the bench because they hold a different view of the constitution.
0: No kidding, and it's not going to stop. And there's no sign that it'll stop. Now they're putting bounties. If you have a justice sound uh, sighting, you get two hundred and fifty dollars and more. So if you see Clarence Thomas at the lake or you meet Conan Barron at, uh, in Aruba, you're supposed to alert local protesters. And it just leads me to this other thing: Is this people feeling acting emotionally and passionately, or are these people being paid? and who's paying them?
5: Well, I think part of it is obviously people are paying it, but we also have a nation that is becoming addicted to rage, and it isn't a new thing. I remember years ago, you were followed by two nutcases in the subway, and I was really appalled by it because it it was just the faces of these individuals following you through the metro and how much they were enjoying it. And you realized that you can become addicted to rage. And that's what we saw in your case. That's what we see outside these houses. And it's going to take the entire American people to say to President Biden and, and other leaders, that's not enough. You know, it's not enough to say people are upset. It's like when Nancy Pelosi was asked about people destroying a statue in her city. And she said, well, people will do what people will do. Well, what does that say to violent people?
0: It says go do it, and then it gets those people that are on the other side of any issue to respond. For example, do you really think that Justice Tom, just, the Supreme Court justices, are the only one that are going to tick you, tick these political activists off? I mean, there are Republican activists too that are very angry. Let's say at the press secretary, let's say at the Secretary of Transportation, that can't you can't get on a flight today, uh, the supply chain situation. So what's going to stop everyday people that are not at the White House? That don't have armed guards. From all of a sudden, they say, "Oh, their residences turned on the ground because this is going to get out of control." The only reason he has no problems with this is because he totally is upset about the Roe v. Wade decision. He's upset about the EPA decision. He's upset about the gun decision. So he says the the Supreme Court has acted irresponsibly. What message is that to send?
5: Well, I think that's that's the the real missing element here. That is, when you look at Uvalde, you look at Highland Park. We have a crisis of mental illness in this country. There are people who are disturbed and violent. And we constantly talk about that when we have these tragedies occur. But these politicians don't take responsibility for how they fuel that. And it can happen on both the left and the right. But to to have this level of difficulty, to simply tell these protesters, there's a point where you have a right but you can abuse that right, and this is it. You know, you disagree with with uh, Justice Kavanaugh, fine. Protest at the Supreme Court. Organize on the election level. You don't have to harass and try to intimidate uh, these justices. What's also interesting, by the way, is that Kavanaugh has been the fifth vote on critical votes this last term, supporting the more liberal justices. I mean, they're they're, they're harassing a justice who next to Roberts is probably the most likely to support the left of the court.
0: Absolutely. And uh, even with the gun lobby, I mean, excuse me, with the gun decision, he had those two-page insert that said just come up with different restrictions you want and and submit them. Of course, New York went over the top and most likely going to go back to court. But how about this story? Joe Biden, in an an attempt to get uh, to, I guess, swing votes and limit the damage done at the midterms, is expounding on what could happen— with Roe v. Wade overturned, he's saying next contraception, he's saying they're going to stop women from traveling, they're going to, can, they're going to try to uh, charge women, they get abortions out of that state if they're residents of a state that doesn't allow them, they're going to talk about getting rid of contraception, all to panic people and, get this, enrage them. Then he brings up this story, Jonathan Turley, of a 10-year-old that was raped and had to go to Indiana to get an abortion. The problem is nobody knows what the hell he's talking about. It's not rooted in any fact people have been able to track through government officials, through any abuse, through abortions that were done. How could you, could he have made up this story?
5: Well, what we know about that story is it all came from a single doctor who said that she received a call from another physician, but that doctor has refused to speak with media since giving that story over. And even the Washington Post said that's really not good journalism. You need some support before you run with a story like that. And if it doesn't constitute good journalism, it doesn't constitute good politics either to for a president to base it on without us really knowing what the facts are, and what occurred. But his entire remarks were just completely baffling. I mean, the, you know, he, he accuses the Supreme court of ignoring early cases, Uh, On abortion, it's totally untrue. The it it was almost laughingly untrue because the criticism of the court is that it's by the left is that it spent too much time talking about the early uh, laws that governed abortion. But he also, in his remarks, said we have to protect the right to travel. Well, that's ridiculous. I mean the, the the right of women to travel uh, to receive medical care or any yeah. purpose is protected under the United States uh, constitution as long as it is you know lawful i mean you could be you could have interstate criminal cases but you cannot be prevented from going to another state for medical or abortion services the supreme court has been incredibly strong on this point and it's just not credible you've other democratic members who have said that ectopic uh, pregnancies uh, um, are also going to be prevented uh, by this decision. That's entirely untrue. That's not a viable pregnancy, and the treatment is not an abortion. But not putting that aside, there's two other problems. Most of these states, like Texas, Louisiana, Oklahoma, specifically exempt those procedures, and... Um, you already have a a a standard that easily protected them even if they didn't, and so a lot of these this parade of horribles tends to disperse once you get closer now that doesn't mean that there's not significant issues here there yeah, is a significant absolutely.
12: issue
5: you know they just they just said that abortion is not a right protected constitution. People are totally in good faith in 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 arguing the other side of that, but you don't have to do what the president did. And try to suggest that there are these other things that the opinion endangers when, in fact, it does
0: not. It's very similar to the pandemic where did you hear that vaccine does this? Did you hear it's easy to catch here? Do you hear you shouldn't shake hands? No, where'd you hear that? Well, a lot of people speaking irresponsibly off the cuff or with hearsay. This is like, this is extrapolating from a decision to try to incense people, in my humble opinion. To be motivated to vote a certain way, the president also brought this up in terms of action he could take. The audio is not great, but I wanted you to hear it. Through all his executive action, cut twenty one.
1: One of the things they are asking for is a public health emergency. Is yeah. that something you're considering? That's or- something I'm asked the uh, uh-huh. folks, that, the uh-huh. medical people in uh, the uh-huh. administration to look
7: at whether that is you what know, I
0: have to like that Okay. So he wants to declare a, pub, uh, a possible public health emergency. Does that have standing?
5: No, even the dog in the background seems to be <laughs> the, uh, the If you actually go to the president's uh, own agency and their site, they explain accurately that this is not a public health emergency. They refer to that status as dealing with Diseases and other types of illness that are rapidly spreading across the country. It doesn't even come close to something like this and also the president's own staff admitted that they looked at this and obviously dismissed it. They said that they didn't see how this would free up significant funds or significant authority, but what it would do is trigger litigation. And so the question is, why do it? And the answer is because this is a political health emergency. That by calling it, uh, uh, using that type of term, it gives the impression of action. It's like creating threats that are not in the opinion, like saying that, that soon you won't be able to get contraceptives, even though the Supreme Court repeatedly and expressly said that is not the case and that its decision can, is not to be used for that purpose.
0: Lastly, I, I worked hard on Friday to try to digest, I think it was Friday, his executive order during our show, not having the, the legal background that you have. I can't see any substance in this, these executive orders. I don't even know what it was supposed to do besides leave, allow him to rant afterwards. Do you? like What, what, what actionable did he put forward?
5: Well, it's fitting it comes uh, it, just before the free Slurpee day. I mean, the problem is that there's very little <laughs> nutritional value in that executive order. Uh, it, it basically says you need to support the right uh, that women have to abortion. Uh, well, it's, almost, it's somewhat limited what you can do because the Supreme Court just returned this issue to the states. But what the White House is not saying while raising these other issues that are not in peril is that the majority of women in this country, in all likelihood, will be in states that protect the right of abortion. The blue states have a very high percentage of our uh, population, and many of those states go way beyond Roe. States like uh, Colorado support abortion up to nine months, so that is way beyond where Roe uh, required. And by the way, only 10 percent of the country, according to a Harvard poll, actually supports uh that type of law um but also over about 60% of abortions are handled with an abortion pill which is very likely to continue to be available and so it, once again there's lots of good reasons that that opponents have to oppose this decision i understand that but we really do have some obligation to be accurate and to try to put this into perspective for the public to know what it is we are debating. The president said in his remarks, vote, 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 vote. Well that's what the court said. The <laughs> Supreme Court, he said, you know, we'll accept that challenge. Well fine. The Supreme Court said, look, in nineteen seventy three we stopped a political debate in this country, and now you can have at it. And said this is up to the American people.
0: That's simple. You could either do that as a leader or you could say I'm going to get people off the charts angry and around the, the ripple effects you're going to be responsible for. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. My pleasure. All right. Uh, by the way, the president of the United States in the Rose Garden right now commemorating the passage of that bipartisan gun law. Well, not very popular with the right, but 14 votes at least uh, from Republicans. And what it did is didn't ban MR3 to uh, MR15, AR15s. Uh, It didn't uh, raise the age from 18 to 21 to buy a weapon. It did have uh, money put aside to give the states to help implement a red flag law with certain parameters, which which would change it from the Wild West, from the big blue states that are very restrictive to the red states that had very few restrictions. And it was a it was a fine achievement. But the president, as usual, he asked for a lot, was angry, blamed the NRA. And then behind closed doors, the senators just actually went to work. And I think they got something effectively done that I think, if implemented, would have stopped the shooting over on July 4th. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. We're going to come back. We have some uh, open time for open lines. And then we'll talk to Gianna Russo about the role of James Caan and the mob. And also that series I love on Paramount Plus called The Offer. He's in it, not as himself, but he's portrayed in it. Brian Kilmeade.
3: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: Hey, welcome back. Uh, just a quick announcement you know, I have been on stage before when I do my book tours and I've enjoyed it so much. I have a chance to look back at the world uh, of the the American history and I had no idea we'd be taking be having to push back on American history and get it right because everyone's trying to rewrite it now. The latest story is on the front on the back page, actually the front page of the New York Post today. How they're trying to in Bonacello, they're actually running down Thomas Jefferson's life and legacy building up the slave culture there and vilifying him at his own home that was been a tourist site since 1920. And guess what? If you watch Saturday show, they're doing the same thing to James Madison. If you want to win the war in history and see it on stage, go to com. You'll find out where I'll be, August, September, and two dates in November. You can get tickets right now, including VIP opportunities.
3: The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You have to answer for Santino, Carlo. Mike, you got a wrong. You think it's sunny for the Barzini people. Ah, that little farce you played with my sister. You think that could fool the Carleone? My i come innocent. I swear to the kids. Please, Mike, don't do this yeah. to Barzini's dead. So is Philip Tattaglia. Mo Green. Stracci. Cuneo, today I settle all family business, so don't tell me you're innocent, Carlo. Now, who approached you, Tattaglia or Bazzini? It was Bazzini.
0: Uh, that is Godfather, the first, the original. Gianni Russo knew that right away. Uh, he's the author of Hollywood Godfather, My Life in the Movies and the Mob. He was kind enough to help us on a Wise guy special looking back 50 years since Godfather 1, and he was in it himself, and he's portrayed, I believe, in the offer— which is a series i 'm not done with, but it's fantastic on Paramount Plus, which is based on uh the making of the Godfather uh Gianni, welcome back
8: thank you, my man. how you been all right?
0: good thanks for helping us out on that special as usual you're the mVP you provided the glue to bring us through the reality and the actual acting because you were in it, and then the aftermath and what this and and what the uh, the mob was all about a word that they could not use in The Godfather. But I wanted to get your reaction to James Caan's passing. You you knew him. You first met him on the set of The Godfather. Am I right?
8: I met him on I met him at rehearsal at, on Patsy's 119th Street, and um, he didn't like me then, and he went to his grave not liking me now.
0: <laughs> Why? What did he What did he not like about you?
8: I, I don't know. You know, it's so funny. I tried to figure it out. I'm not, I wasn't an actor. I was 27 years of age. My ego, I wanted to be in the movie. And uh, the good news, I felt very comfortable because Patsy's on 119th Street. I used to go there all the time. That's Fat Tony Solerno's. That was the Genovese family. And I was working for Costello, who was their boss, basically, as a messenger. So I used to go up there all all the time with five thousand, ten thousand dollar midnight loans. Used to call them because of the Ziganet games. So when they said the rehearsal was there, I said great. So I got there early. I'm in a Brioni suit. I got a Chinese chick driving my 65 Bentley, and here comes all these guys that you know I never met before: Sterling Hayden, Richard Conte, all these guys, and you know James Kahn, And they gave us instructions, which I thought was interesting. This is when Brando gets in the room, no eye contact, don't approach him. And then we were all sitting around this table in order of the family. was Brando, Morgana King, then Sonny, Fredo, Michael, Diane Keaton, Ty and me. So we were all there. And then we had to introduce ourselves. And when I got up, they were all looking at me and saying, who's this guy? I'm dressed in a Brioni suit. They're dressed like my gardener, dressed better than them. Right. <laughs> D- Diane Keaton had combat boots on. I couldn't believe it. But then, you know, at at the break, Brando came to me. Now, I don't know if that ruffled Jimmy's Feathers, because, you know, Jimmy's this thespian and wanted to bond with him and all of that. And they all went to, you know, Stella Adler and the Strasbourg, all these schools. And um, I don't know. Just uh, then I thought maybe he's staying in character and he just wants to, you know, that's who he is. He's a a method actor.
0: (laughs) right And he wasn't. But But Brando walked over to you and was talking to you and you think that maybe James Conn was jealous?
8: Everybody was in the room. (laughs) And I didn't know protocol because that was the first time I was in a rehearsal or on a set. And they told us, don't even look at him. But when he came to me, he was actually trying to get me fired. And I picked up on it after three or four sentences because he said to Coppola, he said, you know, this guy has got to be an important guy, a major actor. See, prior to calling Coppola over, he said, you're a big TV actor. I said, No. You have a big movie coming out. I said, no. He said, well, you're not on Broadway. I know everybody on Broadway. I said, you're right again. What's this, a quiz show? So he said, who'd you study with? I said, study what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and then he tells Copeland, this guy's got to be a great actor. He undermines my whole family. you got to rethink this. And I'm saying to him, wait a minute, this guy's trying to get me fired. So, again, not knowing protocol. I said, Francis, go over there a minute. I dismissed the director. The whole room went quiet because Coppola walked away. I put my arm on Brando and walk him in the back where the Ziggy game would be going on. I knew it wasn't going What is the Ziggy game? It's an Italian, very hard, uh, oh. dice and cards. It's a okay. major game. Big, 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 big money in it. But anyway, so I get him out of earshot. I don't want to embarrass the guy. And I said, let me tell you something, okay? All due respect, I know who you are, but you get me fired. Listen to me carefully. You get me fired, I will suck on your heart. You will bleed out here. You can't embarrass me like this. He looked at me, he stepped back, he said, That was brilliant. You could really do this part. He thought I was acting, I meant it. Because everybody, <laughs> everybody I told him was gonna be in the movie. He ah, said, How you gonna be in that movie? You're not an actor.
0: Well how did <laughs> and, tell everyone, Gianni, how you got in the movie?
8: Well, I got in the movie, and it's not what's in the offer. Because in the offer, they're saying, you know, they treat me like a, a bum, actually. People will call me. I won't watch it. Even the kid that got the part called me because he read my book, Hollywood Godfather. He said, Mr. Russo, I just got cast to play you. He said, if I do? I said, well, it's very nice of you to call me. He said, well, no, no, I read your book. <laughs> I'll ask you first. But the good news it's right now, I can't believe I'm in the James Patterson book right now. It just came out, called Defense Attorney. It's about Barry Slotnick. And Barry Slotnick was in the room with Joe Colombo at Gulf from Weston, When Joe Colombo told Bobby Evans, Stanley Jaffe, Al Ruddy, and all of them, you want me to cooperate with you, Gianni Russo plays Carlo. And they all looked at each other, and they were dumbfounded, and he caught him off guard. He's okay. That's how I got the part, and for your audience, James Patterson book page seventy seventy one. Whatever you're watching on the offer, okay. look at that.
0: So I got you. So so Gianni, that's how you got the part. But that's how I got the part. Let me tell you something. So I, what I think is uh, first off, I know it's about James Conn in particular. Uh, he didn't like you, but did you like him? I mean, was he a hard guy to get along with? I know that you I, were I, on I, with I, Megyn I, I, Kelly I, 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 and said that he might have been might have been in the mob.
7: He's a
8: no-mob. He's Jewish, number one. He, I mean, he's so—that's all he wanted to be. Ever since he played Sonny Corleone, he went to his grave thinking he was Sonny Corleone. He hooked up with all kinds of wise guys, Junior Persico, Andrew Mush, all those guys. He, he went to see them in prison after this picture. He went to Gotti's trial. I mean, this guy was nuts. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so you're not going to miss him. This is not the tribute I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, did
8: you see yesterday's New York Post? No. Oh my God! I did a story yesterday by eleven o'clock in the morning. It was one hundred and seven thousand views. By the end of the day, it was over two million. You got to get it. I will get
0: it. I will take Stage it.
8: Page three, no less. They gave me
0: and just talked about James Con. So you're not you're, oh, you were not I a did. fan.
8: Oh, I buried him. All right, literally. Along with his family.
0: So tell me about uh, I mean, uh, in the making nice guy. of in, in the making of The Godfather, which right. I find endlessly fascinating, uh Al Ruddy, I know you don't like the way you were portrayed in it. Uh they say that James Conn really beat you up in that scene because he was told to uh by the director.
8: That's such a lie. Not I true. Sue the whole, I could sue the whole company. How do you have somebody beat me up? He chipped my elbow, broke two ribs. Now they're saying, uh, "You know you just gave me a younger call my lawyer. I'm <laughs> too <Sue> paramount
0: <laughs> right, So you did get beat up,
8: yes, by Jimmy Kahn,
0: right, But you said that was part of the scene.
8: It was part of the scene. We rehearsed it for a day, and then the next day we came back to shoot it. There was no bat when he got out of that car in rehearsal. That was something he had lived. He must have been practicing all night because when he got out of the car and threw the bat, he hit me right on the head. We stopped the scene a minute because I did get hurt a little bit. I said, no, well, let's keep going. And then when he threw me over the railing and he's beating me with that metal you know, garbage bale cover, not like plastic ones we have today. They were steel those days. He chipped my elbow. and I said, wow, this is crazy. And then when I crawl out to the railing and he drop kicks me, we had it all rehearsal. As soon, soon as his toe hit me, I would roll over and into the fire. And that's how the scene end. That's when he said, touch my sister again, I'll kill you. He broke two ribs, but it was like a football injury. When I got home, I was hurt, and I couldn't inhale and exhale. Wow.
0: So here's how it sounded. Cut 38. It uh, doesn't look like we have it, but it oh. was uh, more visual. That's when he just they show you getting uh, getting beat up by um, by Sonny. Yeah. Lastly, just uh, real quick, Johnny Russo. By the way, pick up his book Hollywood Godfather. It, you will not be able to put it down. Johnny, uh, real quick, um, in the offer, Al Ruddy. They said like he single handed, He did a lot of extraordinary things in order to put this thing together. Does he deserve as much credit as they give him in the offer?
8: Well, you know, I haven't seen it. All I keep hearing, it's the Al Roddy story. I did everything. Nobody did anything. I, I did. did I, in the office, did they say I found the location up on Longfellow no. Road where we shut the wedding? No. no. See, Nope. Right. My grandfather knew the guy who owned the house. He was the gardener. And They were looking for the house. They lost the house in Manhattan. They were, they were picketing everything. Joe Colombo didn't want this movie made in New York State. You know Italian defamation league. Yep. And I found the house up on Longfellow Road. I found La Rosa's pastries to make the cakes. The band that's in the movie, Nino Morreale, would play at my first wedding on Staten
3: Island. <laughs> so they don't give me any credit. That's bad.
0: They have you in I there know. in the movie. I know, Johnny. You, t- it,
8: you know what it is?
0: Well, go ahead. I,
8: I own, quarterly owned fine Italian foods. Go online. I own it. I own all the liquors in seventy-three countries. When Michael said at the end of the movie, no caller, your punishments, you're out of the family business, yeah. I own them all. I own Jenko Olive Oil now
3: throughout the world.
0: Awesome. Gianni, <laughs> thanks so much. Gianna Russo, thank you. Appreciate it. Back in a moment.
3: It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi,
0: everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back. At the top of the hour. I'm going to be on Outnumbered. I'll be the guy in the middle. Meanwhile, I'm just looking at my watch. I'm just thinking, you need to know more.
3: More to know.
0: Leonardo DiCaprio offered Pete Buttigieg some speaking tips during his presidential run. Must have not worked too well, right? Uh, according to a political strategist named Liz Smith, the former senior communications director for Buttigieg, tells TMZ that Leo offered private coaching session and Pete ahead of a national televised event. Leo extended the offer back in 2019 during a swanky private fundraiser for Pete in Los Angeles Mansion, including uh, included there Paris Hilton, Ashton Kutcher, Katy Perry, Orlando Bloom. We're also told that most celebrities like Paris just took selfies with Pete and exchanged pleasantries. Leo went a step further, giving Buttigieg the ultimate offer during a conversation in one of their mansion back rooms. Leo's pitch went like this. He would help Pete with the speaking style and coach him up on the best way to deliver his talking points. Really? I know he's a great actor, but he's not a great motivating speaker, right?
12: And when is he, like, a political expert, right? And goes on to say that uh, Lise was ecstatic when Pete told her about Leo's offer. But when she asked if he got to Caprio's digit, she was—that he didn't, and she was disappointed. She was beside herself. She, she chalked it up to Pete— not fully grasping the significance of Leo's offer. What's the significance? He's just a big celebrity. I know.
0: It's like if Jack Nicholson offers you tips. Not really. No yeah. thanks on speaking. If you want to act, yeah. But Great. I know. That's a lot of confidence that he has. But, you know, he's like tiptoeing around uh, politics. Right. You never know if he's going to get in. Next. The superhero costume worn by George Clooney in 1997's Batman and Robin is up for auction. It comes with a hyper realistic Clooney mannequin. Wow, hyper realistic. Heritage Auction says the Batsuit made famous by the Joel Schumacher film and infamous for the exaggerated nipples featured on the body armor. There were exaggerated nipples on his body armor? You learn
12: a new thing every day. Did you know this? I did not know about exaggerated nipples. I I mean, I got to start hanging with Hollywood types. If only Leonardo (laughs) wanted to give you advice.
0: Right. It would be great. Then I'd ask him about George Clooney's uh, nipples on his (laughs) Batman outfit. It would be perfect. Uh, the call and cape are both marked GC for George Clooney and originally came with the Warner Brothers archives. The bodysuit is a stunt suit and the bat emblem with, from cape, cape fasteners were created from originals to complete the display. I don't know how much people would pay, but I don't think he was happy with the performance. Is that true? He was not ha- I don't think he liked his Batman performance.
12: I don't know that answer. Pete would know, but unfortunately, you're stuck talking to me today.
0: Next. COVID was the third leading cause of death in the U.S. in 2020 uh, and 2021. One in eight people lost their lives. Oh, that ended up dying. Heart disease remained number one. Cancer, number two. COVID, number three. uh, Accidental deaths. That's a pretty broad one. And stroke, uh, 267,000. While that matters, the virus expected a huge human uh, toll after vaccines became um, uh, uh, available and directly affected other causes of death. Perhaps.
12: Because people are afraid to go to the doctor to get their regular checkups.
0: Yeah. Next. America's trust local and family-owned businesses more than any other kind. They told, polled 2,000 people. 67% said, give me the local hardware store over Home Depot. Does that surprise you?
12: It makes total sense. They're generally people in your community. You know them. You know, they don't want to lie to you and then bump into you later at like a T-ball game.
0: Right. Uh, that's <laughs> That could be true. Flexible flyer, you got to buy a flexible flyer, you're not going to get it at Home Depot, you go to the local hardware store.
12: And the local hardware stores, I will say, generally give the kids a nice little toy of some sort. Really? Uh, they usually do to Richard. Hardware stores have toys? They, they give. He always comes home with something when he goes with Andy, whether it's a lollipop or some little fun thing that he's thrilled about.
0: All right, that's good to know. Next. Dog, be, uh, dog became man's best friend thanks to a gene that lowers stress, according to our new research. One of the world's most famous pets descends from wolves. However, the domestication of the uh, dog has baffled evolutionary experts for decades. A Japanese team believes they have solved the riddle. Dogs carry two mutations of a gene known as MC2R. Jot this down, please. because I, um, It's called Melocartin-2 receptor. It produces the hormone cortisol... Nature's built-in alarm system, which releases, then someone experiences fear or anxiety. Does that make sense now?
12: I, I'll look it up more. But did you see, too, though, um, that Brazil is the home to the happiest dog owners? Is that a random fact for you?
0: Right. Something I really can't make any use of. Although no. Tucker was in Brazil two weeks ago. I could I could have given that to Tucker.
12: You couldn't. You could have asked people on the street if they're the happiest dog owners.
0: Next. <laughs> The average customer spends three hundred and fourteen dollars each month on impulse buys. Currently, the average spends three hundred and fourteen a month, uh, up from two hundred and seventy-six in twenty twenty-one and one eighty-three in twenty twenty. Three in four that seventy-three percent respondents say most of their purchases tend to be spontaneous. A large number, from fifty-nine percent, who held the same sentiment last year. Why do you think that is?
12: I'm not sure, but my question for you is: Do you think that's an accurate number, three fourteen a month? Or do you spend more on impulse buys?
0: I don't know. What's an impulse buy? A buy that you... You never buy and and know it's an impulse buy. You identify impulse buys if you don't use it in the aftermath of your uh, uh, end-of-the-year inventory.
12: I would say impulse buy is like you're in line at the store and you see something really fun. You're like, why not? You just grab it because it looks cool. But you use
0: it. You mean an impulse buy, but an impulse buy tends to mean it's an accessory not needed.
12: Or just something you didn't really think much about or, like, you just, like, thought it was cool in the moment and you just grabbed it without doing a lot of research on it.
0: That's a good point. Uh, <laughs> I think that you could do that. But a lot of times people, they put these things on the so as you weave through the line to get your attention to alert you to things you might need.
12: Correct. That you never knew you knew you needed. Does that make sense? No. Yes. But, yeah. But you also tend to buy a lot of things because you just forget them, like chargers, Right.
0: Right. I have, But now I have two chargers here, ready to go on my iPad, ready to go on my iPhone.
12: Let's see if they're going to be there tomorrow. <laughs> I
0: hope so. Well, we know who to play.
12: You? Yes. No. All
0: right. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show.